This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Today we're in 1 Corinthians 9. So if you don't have a Bible, if you would, in the seat in front of you, grab one. There's a Bible under the seat. You can take it out and turn to page 557. If you're new to the Bible, um, the books of the Bible are broken up into chapters and verses. So if you go to 557, you'll see 1 Corinthians 9. And we're going to read verses 1 through 18. And uh, then we are going to um, kind of walk through it together and explain it and then see how it's relevant to our life. There's a lot about this passage that will seem very foreign. You'll be able to tell, hey, wow, this is like 2,000 years old. This was written in, in the first century to Christians in the first century in Corinth, which was a city in Greece. So culturally, it's quite distant from us, but we're going to see as we walk through this, there's some principles that are very relevant to all of our lives today about how the gospel of Jesus Christ changes us. So let's read uh, verses 1 through 18, 1 Corinthians 9. These are God's words to us. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for your holy word and the truth in it. And we pray that as we walk through this chapter that you would speak to us and we ask you to bridge the historical and cultural gap that that you might bring this truth into our hearts and into our lives, that we might understand it and that we might apply it, that you might give us fresh eyes to see your calling on our lives and that you'd give us fresh eyes to see the Lord Jesus who gave his life for us. Highlight your work in this word, we pray, Lord. I pray that you'd fill me with the spirit and grant me strength and clarity and uh, may you be honored and glorified in this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so at first, this looks like a fairly awkward conversation, I would say, that Paul is having with the Corinthians. He started the church. He brought them the gospel, started the church. He was with them for about 18 months. Then he left, and about three years later, he's writing them this letter. And this is a bit of an awkward conversation because he starts the chapter saying, here's all the reasons that I'm an apostle. And anytime you have to justify your existence, justify your status to someone, that's probably not the most pleasant thing to do. Then he secondly goes on to explain why he has the right to be paid for being an apostle. So this is what I am, and I have a right for you to give me provisions and pay me for what I do. And what adds a layer of awkwardness to this is that I, as a employed pastor who is paid for my labors. I'm now teaching this to you today. So full disclosure, uh, I am uh, paid by the church and, and Bob is not. Bob's the, Bob's a free pastor. And uh, so I said, Bob, you should preach this. I told him this week, this would be really good for you to preach. And uh, he said, no, you, you go ahead and do it. So he gave me the old attaboy. And so I am, uh, as, uh, I am uh, preaching here this to you. I just felt like it's better to identify that up front, identify the elephant in the room and then move on. So that's what I'm doing. And, and by the way, the point of this passage isn't really that Paul needs to define his apostleship. And the point of this passage really isn't that Paul needs to demonstrate and prove. He gives a lot of proofs of why he is worthy of payment for his work. That's not the point of the passage. The real point of the passage is tied to what we saw last week in chapter 8. In chapter 8, Paul is dealing with two groups of people in the church, one we call the strong and one he calls the weak. And the strong people in the church, which were likely wealthy, but they also were people who grasped the grace of God in a way that they believed it was okay to eat meat that had been sacrificed in a pagan temple. And Paul said, yes, you can eat that meat. It's okay to eat that meat. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But there's other people in the church that felt like, no, because of their background in idolatry. They felt like if they were eating that meat, it was like going back to the old days and they were worshiping idols or something and they were sinning in their hearts. So Paul has to tell the strong people, look, yeah, you're free to eat. However, why would you want to do that if it's causing your friend here to feel like, well, maybe I should eat as well, but I feel guilty about that. And I'm not sure, well, I went ahead and eat. Now I feel like I've sinned. So wouldn't it be better just to not eat and kind of love your friend? That would be the better thing to do as opposed to exercising your rights. That was the previous chapter. Now Paul is saying, so let me give you an example from my own life. See, he had said at the end of chapter eight, if it'll make my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat the rest of my life, which is a, a, a really sacrificial uh, kind of uh, commitment he's making to them. But here he's saying, look, let me give you an example of how this works in my own life. And so he starts off with, I'm a legitimate apostle. 
It looks like, why are we talking about apostles? Well, because he has to set it up. I'm a legitimate apostle. Legitimate apostles have a right to be compensated for their labor. I give up my right gladly to be compensated because of the gospel. So he's saying, here's how I walk this out in my own life. So let's walk through those points. And then at the end, even though you may not be an apostle, well, let me just inform you, none of us are. You may not be an apostle like Paul. And you may not be remunerated for any kind or even offered remuneration for any kind of ministry that you do. However, we're going to see that the principles that drive Paul and the perspective that he has is is eminently applicable to all of us today. But let's walk through the first things first. Let's walk through the chapter. First of all, Paul is an apostle. He's in an uncomfortable position. Look at verse three. This is my defense to those who would examine me. So he's being examined, critiqued, evaluated, and questioned by these Christians in Corinth. (coughs) Excuse me. He says, am I not, verse one, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So he's saying, here's some proof. Am I not an apostle? These are rhetorical questions. Yes, I'm an apostle. Uh, have I not seen Jesus? That's proof that I'm an apostle. To, to be an apostle, these were the people who were with Jesus, who saw him resurrected, who were commissioned then to take the message of the gospel, which is the truth that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again to give us new life, to take that message forth and to go to different places and proclaim that message. Paul went to the Gentiles, people that had never heard this message of Jesus. Tell them that message and then start churches and disciple people and then send them out to start more churches and disciple people in following him in the mission. So Paul actually didn't see Jesus right after he was resurrected, but Jesus appeared to him in a vision. So he says, I've seen him just like the other apostles have. He offers a second proof that he's an apostle. He says, are you, are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Verse two, if to others, I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you for you are the seal of my apostleship. What's he saying? Well, he's saying, look, somebody else may say Paul's not an apostle, but you're living proof that I'm an apostle. I was sent by the Lord. I taught you the gospel. You believed. We formed a church. I instructed you, cared for you, lived with you for a year and a half. Now I'm writing and giving you instruction. If anybody knows I'm an apostle, look, there's a church here. Apostle means to be sent by Christ. I was sent. I delivered the message, fulfilled my duty, and there's a church here. So you should know that, that I'm an apostle. And he goes on and he says, you are the seal of my apostleship. A seal was for a legal document or even an important letter. You would put wax on it and put a stamp in that wax, and that would be a seal that authenticated that the the statement was from, a, you know, someone, a, a, a political leader or someone important. And so he's saying, you are that stamp, that seal. You are the authentication. If someone would say, Paul, are you an apostle? Here's the authentic seal that proves I'm the real deal because you're a church. So he's saying, look, I am an apostle. Two reasons. I've seen Jesus and I was sent to you and built the church. Uh, you guys have built a people sent with the gospel to establish his church. Number two, he's going to say now as an apostle, I have a right to be paid. Verse three, uh, four, do we not have the right to eat and drink? He's saying, if I am serving as an apostle and devoting my life to care for you and teach you, I came and counseled you, I trained leaders, I settled disputes that were going on in the church, I prayed with you, I evangelized with you, I taught daily so that you would understand the Bible and who Jesus is. He said, if I did all of this, 
is it, is it unreasonable to say that you could provide lunch or dinner for me? I mean, is it not reasonable for an apostle uh, who gives himself full time to that to get a per diem, basically? Is, that not wor- is he not worthy of that? Or he goes on to say, verse 5, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So evidently other apostles, Cephas is his name for Peter. So the others had perhaps come through and brought their wives. He's not married, but if you came through as an apostle and served the church with your wife, she was provided for as well. Verse 6, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So he's saying, are are Barnabas and I, are we the only ones who give ourselves full time to apostolic ministry and at the same time provide for all of our own needs? Are we the only ones you provided for others? Are we the only ones who do that? Paul was a leather worker. That was his trade. And he, uh, he made tents is what he did out of leather. And so he worked while he was there in Corinth in his trade. He earned a living as a tent maker. Probably what happened was he would work from early in the morning uh, through what would be the lunch hour for us. And in their culture, there was usually a break in the afternoon, like a siesta kind of a time, uh, maybe even for a few hours. So he would have probably in the afternoon then taught and discipled and counseled and studied and prepared and prayed and all that he would be doing to execute his ministry. And then he'd probably go back and make tents and sell them uh, in the evening or early evening and then probably teach at night people that were available as well. So he probably had, in essence, two full-time jobs. And yet the full-time job of being an apostle to the Corinthians, they were giving him nothing. And he says, don't we have a right to this? Now, it sounds, isn't this kind of self-serving? No, because he's going to show that he He didn't take any of those rights, and he's going to show how the gospels transformed his perspective. So so stick with me here. He gives several arguments that show he is, uh, it would be appropriate for him to receive pay. First of all, he gives common sense arguments. Common sense. Look at verse 7. Who serves as a soldier of his own expense? If you're a soldier, you don't provide your own um, shelter and food. You serve the cause, and some provisions are given to you. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? If you go out and you're the grape planting guy or the grape planting lady and the, and the, the grapes grow and the, the vineyard comes, you probably get some of those grapes or a sampling of that wine. Uh, you would get some. You would eat its fruit. That would be part of your uh, compensation for your work. Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Same thing, a shepherd would get some uh, milk if they were tending, a, obviously, animals that produce milk. Uh, then they would get some of that. And Paul did all these things for the church, interestingly. He guarded them as a soldier. He, he planted God's word into their lives and into their church like one would plant a vineyard. He, um, he, he tended them like a shepherd would tend a flock. But these are common sense things. What, wouldn't it be normal for those people to receive something, and yet Paul's received nothing from the Corinthians? Verse 8, he makes a biblical argument. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? So here he's saying, look, in Deuteronomy 25.4, there's this verse about uh, when an oxen, a farm animal, is working to tread out the grain, to separate the wheat and the chaff from the grain. When he is treading on it, he can reach down and eat some. You don't put a muzzle on him so that he's doing his work, and then he doesn't, isn't able to eat and get fueled while he's working. He would receive some sustenance 
while he is working so he can continue working. And then he said, that isn't, isn't that what God had in mind? God is concerned for animals, sure. But isn't he really, isn't this really concerned for us? Verse 10, does he not certainly speak for our sake? Ultimately, he applies this. In, in 1 Timothy, he applies this to pastors and uses the same verse and says that, uh, compares pastors and apostles to oxen. They're at the level of an ox. And he says, uh, which I'm not sure is the most flattering image, but he says, uh, if an ox should be able to receive something while it works, so should an apostle in this case, uh, is what he is saying. He goes on to use another kind of farming analogy. The plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. He's just using the same things. The one who works in the field gets something from that to sustain them, to compensate them for the time they've invested in doing the work. He's just making the same argument. So let's, let's move from agricultural to spiritual. And he says in verse 11, if we have sown spiritual things among you, we've planted spiritual truth. Is it too much if we re- reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? So there's evidently some others, maybe the apostles he mentioned earlier, they have provided for. And he says, look, if we're investing all of this with our time, shouldn't we receive some kind of care? Paul's not trying to get rich. He's just saying that shouldn't there be some kind of provision made? And if others received it, well, I mean, Paul started the church. Paul pioneered it. Paul went there and brought the gospel. People didn't even know about Jesus. They're worshiping all these idols. He comes the first person to herald the good news to them. So he's saying, man, like maybe I should receive something if all the other apostles are receiving. He then uses a temple argument. Verse 13, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? So if you were a priest, Uh, serving in the temple in the Old Testament, people brought their tithes, their offerings to the temple, and that uh, provided something to eat. They were like material, you know, they brought their wheat, their grain, whatever in, and that provided for the priest something to eat. And then when the priest offered a sacrifice, they got some of the grilled animal, grilled goat, whatever it was they were sacrificing. Some of that went to them to care for them as well. So they had sustenance and could devote themselves uh, to the temple. It was provided for them so they could devote themselves to the worship at the temple for the people. So he uses the temple argument. And then he says, the temple argument fits in the New Testament. So they don't say, well, that's Old Testament. Then he says, verse 14, in the same way as the temple argument, The Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So Paul is saying those who proclaim the gospel should um, be cared for, be set aside. They should be freed to do that in a full-time way. Some of them should be freed to do that in a full-time way. Now, that all awkward conversation sets up the big point where Paul gladly gives up that right. So he's saying, I'm an apostle. As an apostle, I have right Uh, to care and and provision. And I gladly give that up. Look at verse 12, the second part of verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. We haven't, we haven't acted on these rights and this isn't a big hint. Like everybody take up a love offering for apostle Paul. Next time he comes to town, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I haven't done any of that. Uh, I would rather, he says, verse 15, die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. 
For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. So I don't have anything to boast about for what I'm doing because I'm preaching the gospel. So why is it that him being paid, if other apostles had been paid, (coughs) why would it be a stumbling block? (coughs) Excuse me. Why would it be a hindrance to the people in Corinth? Well, there's a cultural argument for this, cultural reason, and then there's really clearly his stated reason. Um, The cultural reason probably goes back to the chapter before. Most scholars think that the strong were probably wealthier kind of folks. The weak were poorer folks. Paul was correcting the strong people and saying, love the weak and care for them in the previous chapter. And the way a speaker was compensated in Corinth in this time was one of two ways. They had what we would call like self-help or motivational speakers in our culture, um, which is a big deal, like leadership gurus or business speakers or this kind of thing, sales trainers who are, who are like well-known national travel around, give a speech and then try to get you to buy their program or whatever. That really happened there. It was just probably up a notch in Corinth. It was probably philosophers. And so there were these itinerant wisdom gurus that would come to town and teach and then would draw followers, disciples after them. But the way they were compensated for that, and the Corinthians love these guys, by the way, the way they were compensated for that was they either charged a flat fee to give a lecture, uh, you know, and they did it with a lot of rhetorical flair and kind of gave a philosophy of life, that deal. Or you stayed with a wealthy family. So you'd come to town, come to Corinth, you're going to be there for a while. So you stay with a wealthy family and they're your patron and you're their client. And so they provide all your needs. They maybe give you some extra money and they really treat you well. But there's sort of this understanding that the person that's writing your, uh, providing your way, providing your meal ticket, that they probably have some influence with you. That would have been very common in their world. And so Paul is not going to be beholden to anyone. He's not going to go stay with the rich in Corinth and stay a long time and, and, you know, relate with the wealthy or the strong and lose any sort of objectivity or freedom to call them out, which is what he does. That's probably some of what's going on here. But probably the real primary reason of what's going on here is he doesn't charge because the gospel is free. That's the big idea. The gospel is free of charge. And so he's going to give freely with no expectation of return because that approach models grace. That approach models the gospel. Jesus gives his life freely for us. Jesus endured suffering and died in our place. He gave of himself so that we can have our sins forgiven and receive eternal life. This is what Christ did for us. This is the good news. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't be good enough. You can't do Jesus favors so that he owes you something. You can't be a good person so that he's in your debt in any way. It is a free gift. And Paul says, I'm going to preach the gospel in the same way. So the God, this is where it relates to all of us. The gospel reorients us at our core. The gospel changes, fundamentally changes our perspective. When you encounter the good news of that's the gospel, what Jesus has done for you, when you meet Jesus personally, when his spirit comes to live inside of you and give you new life, it changes, it's intended to change your entire perspective on life, your entire purpose for life, your entire reason for being. It changes it fundamentally. And Paul demonstrates this two fundamental shifts. There's more, but two that happen in this passage. Number one, the gospel reorients us from entitlement to stewardship. 
I'm going to talk about this a minute. The gospel reorients us from entitlement to stewardship. Now, maybe those are both words that we don't, you don't use a lot or we don't use a lot. But the entitlement means it's my right. I'm entitled to this. I have a right to this. And Paul is clearly entitled to provision. He's entitled to pay. It's a right, but he has laid down his right. This is a countercultural approach to lay down right. Now, when I'm talking about rights, I want to be very clear here. I'm not talking about what we would call rights, like civil rights. Um, we don't say to people who are oppressed or who are marginalized or who, whose civil rights um, are not granted them, we don't say to them if they're Christians, hey, just don't worry about it. Just love Jesus. No, the church should be standing for those who are marginalized and who are oppressed in any way and who's, those whose rights, whose civil rights are, um, are being limited or hindered. And we should speak out. We should prophetically speak out against the system when there's systemic injustice or unrighteous, uh, unrighteousness, injustice or unrighteousness in the system that may marginalize certain racial minorities or women or, or, or in certain other groups that might be marginalized in some way in society. No, we stand against that and speak against that because it's unjust and we represent Jesus uh, and his heart by standing for justice. So that's important. We're not talking about civil rights here. We're talking about Christian freedoms. He's not talking about a civil right that you should pay me to be an apostle to you. Uh, this is Christian freedoms, things that we could have that could be ours, that we could hold on to, but that we gladly lay aside. Like, I'm not going to eat meat offered to idols if that leads someone into sin, chapter 8. That's what he's talking about. So this idea of entitlement is ingrained in Corinth, and it's ingrained in our country, in our culture as well. See, the entitlement perspective says, I've done X, so you owe me Y. Sometimes entitlement says, I've done nothing, but you owe me. But entitlement says, I've done X, you owe me Y for what I've done. It's the economy of cause and effect. Cause and effect. It's the economy of I do and I earn something. It's the economy, it's the culture of expectation. I'm doing this, so something should come in return. I did this for you, now you're indebted to sort of return that favor in some way to me. It's the culture of give and take on equal grounds, and oftentimes I give so that I can take or receive something from you. It's the culture of expectation, entitlement, and it is not a culture of grace and gratitude. Grace is the exact opposite. Jesus does not have give in to the culture of entitlement. He's radically opposed to it. Philippians 2 says that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Talk about entitlement. He's God Almighty, deserving all worship, all honor, all praise. And he says, I'm going to lay that aside and become human and come to serve. And he, he says, I will lay down my rights for the good of us because he loved us. He will lay down his rights, give up his life, even to the point of death, death on a cross, Philippians 2 says. So Jesus is countercultural. The kingdom of God is opposed to the entitlement mentality. Entitlement does not breed gratitude. Entitlement does, is not motivated by grace. It's earning and deserving. It's you owe me. It's I expect. It's where's mine. That's what entitlement asks. You know, when I study, I read commentaries sometimes, sometimes more than others, depending on if something's really 
hard to understand. Then I look at a lot of scholars. Sometimes it's not, I don't look much, but uh, I was studying this passage and I thought in a commentary, this was a scholar and a pastor gave the most earthy example of entitlement that I just want to read it to you. Because I thought this guy just took it and put it on the bottom shelf where I could reach it and understand. And I hope you as well. He says this, he says, the summer after I graduated from college, I was doing an internship at a church that was an hour and a half from my home. So about three times a week, I was driving to the church. So you're getting the picture. He's driving three hours as an intern round trip, three hours. Very quickly, I began to feel entitled. This isn't how my story is supposed to go. Do these people have any inkling of how much I'm sacrificing to serve them? A few weeks into the internship, a sweet couple whom I had known for a few years finally started to see things from my perspective. How could they not? And they made a proposition. We need to get away and you need to commute less. You can stay at our place for a week. Watch our dogs and just breathe easy. There's plenty of food in the fridge. You'll love it. I thought, thank you, Lord, for finally getting it right. I can kick back, watch TV, and even make a few bucks on the side. Well, to put it bluntly, it was the week from hell. (laughs) Their dogs were humongous greyhounds or some other gigantic breed. Wherever I was, they needed to be near me. If I went in another room and closed the door, they went nuts. They barked all night. They needed to be walked multiple times a day, which consisted basically of them dragging me around. And I won't even tell you about how one of them got away in the middle of the night and I ran around in my pajamas in the rain for an hour and a half trying to track him down. When the relaxed and rested couple finally returned home, I put on my best it was a great week face and kept the escaped dog story under wraps. I've often wondered, or I just read this this week. I wondered this week. I wonder if they ever read this. If those people (laughs) read this commentary, what? (laughs) So I didn't tell them anyway. And then I waited and I waited for something more than a thank you, you know, an envelope or a card, something that could possibly contain some cash or a check for what I deserved for what I had earned. Of course, they would give me something. I mean, even a hundred bucks would do, but nope, nothing, nada, zero. As I drove away, I realized that we had never discussed money. And then I began to seethe those ungrateful. They were on vacation while I was forced to live with those mongrels. How dare they take advantage of me that way? I was entitled to something more than I currently had. This situation did not fit my special life narrative. And by the way, we all have a special life narrative of how things are to go. And God will interrupt that narrative daily to mess it around so that we see our need for him and allow him to rule on the throne and get off the throne ourselves. That's my added. That's not in here. So then he says, he talks about being entitled. Entitlement impairs our ability to receive gifts. I was given free room and free board for a week. I saved on gas money and travel time. But all I could see is what I didn't 
get. The Corinthians have been given the gospel and one of the greatest leaders in the history of the church, but their sense of entitlement overshadows the gift that they have. These dear, sweet people who were simply trying to help out a sorry intern became the villains in my story. They became the enemy. This happens in marriages and friendships and work relationships. I believe that I'm entitled to this. You owe it to me to be this person, to play this role, to act this way, to talk to me in this tone at this time. Here's your script. And if you don't follow it, I'll just find someone to replace you. Entitlement is the bane of relationships. It's so true. He, he lays down his entitlement, and we're going to see he is grateful to act as a steward. And I wonder where in your heart today are you feeling that creeping sense of entitlement? If you look to what frustrates you and what you're angry about and what you think is unfair in your life, it could be that right there is where you will find, creeping behind that attitude, the desire, the heart, the demand of entitlement. Entitlement. Where's God calling you to lay down your entitlement and be grateful today? How is his work for you in the cross and the resurrection freeing you from the perspective of what I deserve and leading you to the perspective of celebrating what you've already received? You see, that's stewardship. And that's what he goes on to say he's replaced his entitlement with. Verse 16, if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Verse 17, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a stewardship. He says, it's not about what I do It's about what's freely been done for me in Jesus. And he says, I am given a stewardship. A stewardship, to be a steward means to manage something, to use something that doesn't belong to you, to care for something entrusted to you for someone else. And he's saying, I'm a steward of the gospel. I'm a steward of many other things as well, our gifts, our resources, our abilities, our relationships. But here he's talking about, I'm I'm a steward of the gospel. And so because I am caring for the treasure of the gospel, because of the great work Christ has done to me, now I'm called to leverage everything I have to be faithful, to share that gospel. And I do that here free of charge because that models the gospel. It's not what I am entitled to. It's about what I have received as a steward to use freely for the good of others. That's the perspective. The gospel reorients us from entitlement, what I deserve, to stewardship, what I've been given and entrusted with to use joyfully and freely to share the good news of eternal life so that others can know Jesus forever and to act in a way that will be acting for the good of others, expressing the love of Jesus to them. See, entitlement, Paul was entitled to some right things. The culture of entitlement doesn't mean that you feel like you're entitled to things that that aren't yours. He's entitled. These these believers are free to eat meat, but he's saying lay down the right if in love that will serve someone else. He's free to receive pace as I lay down that right if it will model the gospel and if it will allow me to serve the people of this, this community in Corinth, even though others received it, he didn't because he felt like that would be most helpful for them. 
And though you may not be, though you're not an apostle, though we're not apostles, though you may not be in Paul's situation, this is relevant for your life because it calls you to ask, how do you view your life? Do you look at your life daily thinking about what I deserve, what other people owe me, what other people should be doing for me, what I've done for others, and so what I expect and to return? Or are you living with what I have graciously been given and the privilege I have of stewarding, managing, using that for the good of other people? Completely two different views. And Paul says, the gospel has gripped my heart so that I have the latter view. This perspective changes everything. Think about your relationships. In your relationships now, if you know Jesus, if the gospel is shaping your motive, if the gospel is coloring your perspective, then your relationships are not about what you have the right to receive. But rather, your relationships are about what God has given you by grace so that you could freely give to another. It's about what I can offer you with no strings attached. If you're married, it's not about what you're entitled to from your spouse. And my, the problem in my life is my spouse just isn't X, Y, or Z. No, the problem in your life is an entitlement mentality. Because the gospel shapes us to say, I am called to freely give and freely serve joyfully another. The same is true in friendships. The same is true in any kind of relationships. The same is true in your work life. See, your work life is not about how much is owed me. Am I receiving the credit I deserve? See, if you are just working to get credit that you deserve, that's a different mentality. Am I getting the respect I deserve? Am I giving the recognition that I have a right to? Am I receiving all the compensation that I think I am worth? Or can I freely trust the Lord and faithfully give of myself for the good of others, to my superiors, to those I manage, to my clients? Can I do that graciously and freely serving, giving, loving to them, modeling what Christ has done to me so that it might open a door through my example, as Paul's example, it might open a door for me to give the reason for the hope that lies within me, Jesus Christ, so that maybe somebody wouldn't turn to me and say, man, you complain more than everybody. But maybe somebody someday would turn to me and say, you know what, I know how come you don't complain about this? This is a terrible situation. Why aren't you complaining? And then that opens a door to be able to say, it's be- well, it's not me. It's because what I've received freely that just causes me to want to freely give. And I don't, I'm not perfect at it. I'm not actually some days not even good at it. But here's why. Jesus gave his life. Opens a door to testify to the gospel. I'm stewarding the gospel with how I relate to others. Now, I'm not advocating, I do want to say this, this is an important asterisk on this. I'm not advocating you being in, I gave a marriage example, like you being in an abusive relationship. I'm not saying that you take, that you, you submit yourself to physical abuse because you're not, you know, you're not entitled to anything. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that you do work a job where you're physically or, you know, uh, emotionally abused and you just stay there saying, hey, uh, and I'm not going to do anything about it. Or I, I'm not saying that, but those are more unusual circumstances. 
I'm talking about what would be for most of us the everyday normal relationships we have, not the highly, not the abusive kind or something like that. See, the question is, is the gospel shaping my perspective so that I have moved from entitlement to freely giving up my rights, motivated by love for others in order to represent the gospel to them? That's what Paul says. That's how he handles meat. That's how he handles his uh, own apostleship and not receiving uh, provisions or paychecks from these folks. This will often lead to opportunities to testify to the gospel. That's what he's doing here. How about your church relationships or church ministry? Is it about having a role or recognition? Or is it just about freely using your gifts, freely using your abilities, freely using your time, freely using your money that he's given you to invest in others freely without expectation? Now, we're not trying to create a culture here where we use people and say, what do you think you're entitled to? Not at all. We're trying to encourage and bless. But think about that. Am I freely giving? Is it about what I've received or what I've given? And that really leads to the last observation here. The gospel not only reorients us from entitlement to stewardship, but also from receiving to giving. Paul isn't serving without reward, by the way. Paul is being rewarded. Look at verse 18. This is my reward. What then is my reward? Verse 18, that in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. What is my reward for serving, loving, caring, announcing the gospel to the people of Corinth? What's my reward? It's the free announcement of the gospel. It's modeling what Jesus has done for us. The reward is the giving. The joy is the good news itself and seeing people affected by that. The joy is in the giving. Doesn't Jesus say it is more blessed to give than to receive? I mean, have you ever had that experience where the giving itself was the whole joy and the whole reward and what it cost you didn't even matter? Maybe you've given a very special gift to a friend or your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your parents, whatever. But think about a time when you, when you got a very special gift and you researched it and you, you, you maybe looked online or maybe you made a real set, what would be a real sacrifice in my mind and had to go to the mall and look around for it. And you shopped and maybe you found the right one and you spent a lot of money. You spent a lot of money sacrificially on it. Maybe you bought it and it came and it was the wrong thing and you had to ship it back and it was still the wrong thing and you had to talk to customer service and it was a headache. And you went through all this time, all this effort, all this money, And then you gave your spouse, your grandchild, your kid the gift and watched them open and their face light up with, this is exactly what I wanted. No, no, this is better than I wanted. No, no, this is better than I ever would have dreamed. I can't believe you got me this. And that moment, the joy of giving, the joy of blessing. You're not thinking there and going, well, I hope you enjoy it. I had to be on customer service. I was on hold for an hour. You know, you're not thinking that. Well, I hope you're not thinking that. That's entitlement mentality. But it's like, no, I just, it's so exciting to see that person receive and be blessed. That's what Paul's saying. My joy is in giving the gospel and seeing lives changed. You can't put a price tag on that. You can't provide housing for me that equals that. That's the joy. It's in giving. 
And though your gifts and calling may be different than his, the question is, how can you freely give what you have in the gospel and find that the giving itself is a reward? Paul would say, I'm glad to work two jobs full time to give this away free to bless you guys. How do you use your gifts, your time, your energy freely? And the joy is just the giving. I was thinking, what's being an illustration of that in the church? And I was thinking about this last night. Like, what's an illustration? And I go, wow, I don't even have to think back 24 hours when there was a women's conference here on Friday night and Saturday. And I caught a little bit of it. I sat out in the lobby and watched some on the TV. Sat in the, I didn't want to enter the court of women. I sat in the court of Gentiles out there. <laughs> little, little temple humor for if, uh, popular jokes, temple jokes. And so uh, I, I watched a little bit and it was great. I didn't eat any of their, well, I did eat some of their popcorn. I was going to say I didn't eat any of their food, but the food looked great. I just observed ladies um, at the break time, talking, engaging, laughing. I heard the teaching. What I heard and the reports I heard was it was very good. And the whole retreat, the whole conference was great. And I thought behind the scenes, there was a lot of people that devoted time. There were people that gave time to plan. There were people that did decorations. There were people that did a budget. There were people that bought food. There were people that set things up. There were people that uh, prepared teaching, obviously. There was people that prepared music. There were small group leaders that led discussions. There was people that came early and stayed late. There were men that volunteered to help and to serve and be a blessing to the ladies and have to do set up and take down food and all kind, just all kinds of things. And I thought about there was a core of folks that invested a lot of time. And as they stood back and watched, I can only imagine, as they stood back and watched people affected by the word, people encountering Christ in the singing, people, new people making a friend, people feeling included and connected, people feeling like they are, uh, you know, a part of something bigger than themselves and being, finding family in the church, new people joining in. As they watched all that, they're going, that's worth more than anything to me. You can't remunerate me to somehow equal that. That's eternal. You can't produce that. You can't make that in an entitlement. You can't give and take and force that to happen. That's the grace of God. So people say, I would gladly give my time to that. Changed lives. See, that's the gospel reorientation. Away from entitlement to stewardship. What have I received that I can use? Not what is owed me. Away from receiving. What's everybody doing for me? What have I gotten to? How can I give? Only the gospel brings that power. Only the gospel turns life upside down so that we live with that perspective, those goals. That's a different set of goals. It's a different purpose. That's a different way of evaluating a successful life. Completely different. Not how much do I have? How much did I give? Not how much recognition did I receive, but who did I honor and bless? Completely different goals. It's an upside down kingdom. It's an upside down way of living our life. And it only comes when we encounter Jesus and see what he did for us and receive new life in him and have him change our motives to be more and more like him. And if you've never met Jesus, the first thing you need to do is not start going and helping people. That's not what you need to start doing. What you need to do is come to Jesus and say, I'm a sinner. I need my sins forgiven. I don't have this new life I'm hearing talked about. So I'm turning from my sin. I'm repenting. I'm trusting and believing that Jesus alone is my salvation, that he died for my sin. I'm not good enough and never will be. And you need to receive Christ by faith. That's what you, that's the first step for you. And those of us who have done that, then we need to ask the Lord to reorient our heart, reorient our mind, turn us 
turn us to receive from him, steward what we've received from him, and graciously, gladly, joyfully scatter to be spent for Jesus and then replenished and spent and replenished and spent by grace. That's what Paul says it's all about. That's what he says it's all about. What's my reward? It's just this, that I may present the gospel for your church. What's my reward? That I might receive of Christ and freely give to others. That's all I want. That's ultimately what I want. And that's eternal in value. And when a whole church does that, when a whole community starts living that way, well, that's revival. That's revival. And that'll change a neighborhood. That'll change a city. That'll change a nation. When the people of God are distinguished from the culture because they've died to an entitlement mentality. They've repented of an entitlement mentality for their personal rights. And they've instead stewarding the grace of God and freely giving. That's a movement of God that the enemy cannot stop, that no culture can not stop, that, that will blaze and burn a pathway of new life for those who hear that gospel and see it lived out. May that be our reality in this day. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.